Hey, you're listening to Orla's Happy Hormones podcast, talking all things female health and wellness. I'm Orla O'Flaherty, a certified naturopath and herbalist, and I'm here to talk about everything from periods, PCOS, endometriosis, health, sex, wellness, and life in general. Here's to happy hormones and a happy you. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Orla's Happy Hormones podcast. And we are up to episode 31. And I am veering away from the hormone side of things again. Uh, but I'm also veering away from the spiritual and mindfulness side of things also. Uh, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm not going to be bombarding you with female empowerment and the power of being a woman for a change. And I'm going to be going a little bit sciencey on you because I've decided to do an episode on the likes of IBS and gut health. Now, I'm not going full on into it because it's such a vast topic. And when it comes to gut health and gut dysbiosis and the microbiome and leaky gut and IBS, IBD, everything that falls under the category of IBD, your likes of diverticulitis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, all these different conditions, it's huge. It's absolutely massive, the category of gut health. So I'm just focusing a little bit on IBS and a little bit on why gut health is so important. Like I said, I'm not going full on into it. I'm just giving a little bit, but it is a little... A little sciencey, nothing major, just a little. I want to keep it short and sweet and to the point for everyone. Um, but yeah, this week I've had a lot of people asking me about herbs for IBS. So that's why I've decided to go down this road uh, this week. There's so many people out there who suffer with gut problems and IBS being the main one. And it seems to be becoming more and more prevalent in today's society. And that's generally down to the fast convenient western diet which is really high in trans fatty acids and sugars and as well then people have massive amounts of stress people are under daily stress workload stress money stress life stress relationship stress kids stress and stress plays a huge role in upsetting the balance of good bacteria and bad bacteria in the gut so we need to look at all aspects of it but what is IBS? There, Like I said, there's IBS, there's IBD, there's so many gastro problems and people aren't really sure if they have a condition or if they have IBS. Well, IBS is, in its definition, is a functional disorder characterized by constipation, diarrhea, gas, bloating and nausea with no, no, no known organic pathogen. And its its most common triggers are down to the likes of food intolerances and stress. But like I said, there's no known pathological factor in there. But when it comes to the gut, there's a whole range of conditions. Like I said, from diverticulitis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, gastritis, peptic ulcer, ulcers, and there's there's so many more. But if you do suspect that you have IBS or a gut problem, I would always say... Or if you have any like red flag symptoms like prolonged vomiting or diarrhea or blood in your stool. If you ever have blood in your stool straight away, go to the doctor. And then the likes of unexplained weight loss and loss of appetite. 
do go and get investigations. It could be IBS, it could be nothing, but always just to rule out any pathological factors like a viral or a bacterial infection or any other signs of IBD, so the inflammatory bowel disease. And that way you're getting your differential diagnosis and then you'll know if it is IBS or if you do have an IBD condition. But when it comes to IBS, really we're looking at the whole gut from digestion to absorption. And I'm sure you've heard me and many, many, many others out there talk about good gut health and the importance of eating real, whole, nutrient-dense foods. And it probably you've probably heard it so many times that it goes in one ear and out the other. But why is it that we're saying these things? Is it Are, are we saying it just to jump on the good gut health bandwagon? No. We're saying it because it's fact. It's science. The short answer really is a happy gut equals a happy body and mind. The longer version could possibly take me about five days to really go into. (laughs) But the longer version broken down a bit of it. So if your gut is functioning properly, you'll be healthier. And this is due to the fact that 80% of our immunity is met up in the gut. How is that? is what so many people ask me. Because when they think of their immune system, automatically you're thinking of preventing colds and flus and things like that. And you're not, you can't see your immune system. You just know if you're healthy or if you're not. Well, bacteria teach our immune systems how to behave. So that's why we're always talking about good bacteria and bad bacteria. And this goes back to even being in the womb. So research is now showing that babies prenatal are exposed to certain bacteria in the womb and then through vaginal births. Before it was thought, the school of thought was that there was no bacteria in the womb, that it was a sterile environment. That has now been proven false. There is bacteria in the womb. But then again, through the vaginal births. So babies born through C-section have a 20% higher risk of certain conditions later in life as opposed to vaginally born children due to the sterile nature of a C-section. Having such a sterile birth can delay the colonization of gut bacteria and then the education of the immune system. Whereas with a vaginal birth, the baby has been exposed to many different forms of bacteria through the cervix, through the vagina, and that's building up their immune system off the bat. And it's also known now that excessive use of antibiotics in children at a very young age, it increases their risks of allergies and asthma. And that's because the gut gut bacteria is being killed off. The immune system is there to maintain a balance between reaction and tolerance. So it's it's necessary to have a diverse gut flora set up at an early age with different types of bacteria and other microorganisms. As this is how the tolerance, that tolerance that I spoke about is built up. Now these bacteria and like their bacteria or fungi and their microorganisms 
they teach the cells of the immune system that not everything is bad. So they're sending signals to your immune system about what is good and what's bad. But when there's an overgrowth of bad bacteria, the immune system then becomes compromised. And this is due to too many pathogens being able to shift the immune system into an inflammatory state. Now, there are so many different factors that contribute to an overgrowth of bad bacteria from the likes of antibiotic use, poor food choices, alcohol and and stress as well. Like I said earlier, stress plays a huge role in it. What's happening in the gut then is there is an inflammatory response which is starting the domino effect. And that inflammatory response is happening because the immune system has been hit with all this bad bacteria. So it's sending out these messages of kill, 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 which is increasing an inflammatory response. So then we have to start looking at our environment, external and our internal environments. What is it that we are fueling our bodies with? Are we nourishing with whole real foods or are we on the run constantly buying takeaways, eating on the go, prepackaged, microwavable meals, all these types of foods? What is it that you're fueling your body with? Because what we put into our body is what's having that homeostatic effect on us what it should be is that homeostatic effect on us our food is there to give us nutrients to get us give us vitamins minerals carbohydrates fats proteins to help our bodies function on a normal healthy level but when we're either eating on the go or we are eating processed foods which I would normally call food-like substances. Yes, they will kill the hunger, but they're not giving you any nutrients. Then we have to look at another inflammatory response from what we are putting into our bodies. So the likes of trans fatty acids and sugar, these are highly inflammatory causing and they can't be utilized in the body. Like refined processed sugar, it attaches to proteins in the body and alters the integrity of many, many of them necessary for proper immune function. Chronic inflammation activates the, the immune response, resulting in damage to healthy cells and good gut bacteria. So being in an inflammatory state, chronically, you're killing off your gut flora, your healthy gut flora. And then looking at stress. So stress plays a massive role in overall digestive health. A healthy digestive system removes nutrients from food so they can be absorbed into the bloodstream. When we're stressed, that has a whole cascade of effects, not just on our digestive systems, but on our entire body. So our digestive systems, our immune systems, our nervous systems, 
Again, it's another domino effect. So stress activates the sympathetic nervous system, which stimulates the body's fight, flight, or freeze response. And then its counterpart, the parasympathetic nervous system, controls our ability to rest and digest. Neither of these can be activated at the same time. It's just not possible. So when you're chronically stressed, you may have a poor secretion of digestive enzymes and possible damage to the, the villi. These are the areas in the small intestine where nutrients are absorbed. And that, that damage to the villi is down to inflammation. But all of these factors can lead to poor, poor absorption and then fermentation of foods causing gas and bloating and weight gain, nausea, and also reduce antioxidants in the body, which is causing oxidative stress on the cells. Now, what I mean when I say fermentation, uh, fermentation of foods in the body, because I know like, out there now we have our sourdoughs and fermented foods, and these are all really good for us. And they are because they have good bacteria in them. But I'm talking about the fermentation process in the small intestine. So what can happen, the, the best way to describe it is, um, so if you eat meat and potatoes together, they digest at completely different rates. So potatoes are, they're not a fast digesting vegetable. While that's trying to digest, and they also need different enzymes, digestive enzymes, to break, to break them down. So meat needs, meat needs certain digestive enzymes. Vegetables need other digestive enzymes. While say the potatoes are trying to digest, the meat is sitting there, and it's starting to ferment, and it's causing gas, and it's excreting that gas into the small intestine. And that's causing pockets along the intestinal walls. Now that gas can permeate through the gut lining, which can in effect end up with causing the likes of leaky gut. Now leaky gut is when you're getting little holes in the small intestine and the nutrients from your food and toxins are being excreted into the bloodstream. And that's when you're becoming, say, chronically toxic for lack of a better term but that's when you're looking at different say food combining diets so people with IBS they most people with IBS know their trigger foods some people don't and there are so many different types of diets to be looking at so the likes of your your FODMAPs and vegan paleo keto people with IBS try all different diets to see what works for them and to be honest it is I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do because when it comes to IBS it's so individual it's so different for every person like I said every most people who have IBS know their own trigger foods but it's one person with IBS can eat an apple another person with IBS cannot go anywhere near an apple same with tomatoes so it is very different 
But then like combining the likes of your stress with the poor diet, it, it is wreaking havoc on guts and it's causing all these problems like IBS and IBD. But then what is it that you can do? So like I said, there are all these different diets that are out there that you can try and see what works best for you. But at the end of the day, really what you're looking to do is to heal your gut. You really need to be looking at getting your good gut bacteria back on track. So what I would always recommend is taking a really good quality probiotic like Udo Super 8s and then along with incorporating some small amounts of fermented foods into your diet. So the likes of kombucha, kefir, sauerkraut or kimchi, these are all rich in pre and probiotic substances. And then even like when you're buying your bread, like make sure when you're buying sourdough that it's real sourdough, which has a minimum 48 hour fermented starter culture in the process of it, of baking it. It needs to be properly fermented. And yeah, also looking at easily digestible foods and foods that serve as nutrition for good bacteria to thrive. So there's two fibers known as fructooligosaccharides and inulin, and these are crucial to 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 this process really as as their prebiotics. Some foods containing them are the likes of globe artichoke, fennel, celeriac, onions, leeks, and asparagus. But like I said, IBS is very individual, and some people can actually react to the oligosaccharides and end up with more gas. And if that's the case, then another option will be including foods rich in stashes because this is another prebiotic. So foods with that is the likes of beans, chickpeas and peas, but these must be soaked for minimum 24 hours or else sprouted to avoid gas and bloating because they contain enzyme inhibitors and they can be really hard to break down. So... It's finding the right balance for you and it's finding what your triggers are. Like I said already, IBS is really individual and it's about finding what's going to send you off into a flare-up. Some of the most common triggers are the likes of apples or tomatoes or bananas, melons. Gluten and wheat are the most common ones at the moment. But really, like, as well, anything that's in the deadly nightshade, deadly, sorry, the deathly, yeah, deadly nightshade family. I was about to say the deathly hallows family, so Harry Potter on the brain here, sorry. (laughs) But looking at what your trigger foods are, and if you don't know what your trigger foods are, get a food diary. Have a food diary for three weeks. Write down everything that you're eating and write what sort of reactions you're having to what foods. It's only by knowing what you're actually putting into your mouth that you're going to be able to pinpoint the triggers. Yes, you can go and get food intolerance testing, of course. But looking first and foremost at yourself, what are you putting into your mouth? Are you taking responsibility for what you're putting into your mouth? And can you change it? And like I said, like there are loads of different food types 
that have that have the pre and probiotics. Then there's other things like bone broths. Bone broths are really healing for the gut lining. That's because because of its collagen. And then slippery elm powder. This is something you can get in any health food store, and it is just a powder, a spoon of it, in a cup of hot water, and it kind of tastes a bit like a miso soup, like a broth. It, it's quite nice, but it completely coats the lining of the gut. So again, we're looking at healing the gut. And then the herbalist in me, there is loads of herbal supports that can be used to support someone with IBS. But again, it's very individual. I think that's my favorite line for this entire episode is it's very individual. But it is, and that's because everybody's different. Everybody's body is different. So treating two people with IBS, for me, could be two completely different formulas and two completely different nutritional plans because I'm looking at the person. I'm looking at the person as a whole. And then I'm looking for what sort of support is it that they need? What's going on for them? Like, is there toxicity in the system? Do they have leaky gut? Are they constipated? Do they have diarrhea? Is there inflammation, cramping, bloating, gas? Then I'm looking at the energetic side side to it with TCM. I'm is there heat? Is there cold? Is there damp? And then the Ayurvedic side, pitta. Is it have they an excess of pitta? Have they an excess of vata? Have they too much kapha? And it's combining everything really together, but looking at the person in their entirety. And then looking at my herbs. And looking at what is it that we need to treat like some of the main herbal categories that I'd be looking at for the likes of people with IBS so the likes of demulsants demulsants they soothe mucous membranes which will help to reduce irritation of the gut lining so demulsant herbs I'm looking at althea so marshmallow root glyceriza licorice aloe vera Then for anyone who has a lot of inflammation, we need anti-inflammatory herbs. So I'm looking at philopendula, which is meadowsweet. Again, glyceriza. Then curcuma, which is turmeric. We all know how anti-inflammatory turmeric is. Then I'm also looking at the digestive juices. We're looking at, do they have enough digestive enzymes? So the likes of bitters, I've spoken about bitters before, destimulate digestive juices simply from the taste. Once you taste that bitterness on the tongue, the mouth will start to secrete saliva. The gallbladder and the liver will start secreting bile. Digestive juices will come into the stomach and will help the whole digestive process and absorption process. So bitters, we're looking at tarax, dandelion root, and gentian. One of the, it's the bitterest of all bitters. I can't go near it. There's only ever been two people 
I know who can take gentiana. It's a very strong herb. But again, bitters need to be taken in low doses. But then there are other other bitters, the likes of chamomile, so mat- matricaria. That's a nervine herb, but it's also a bit it also has bitter properties. So that's the beauty of herbal medicine is that one plant has it has a bitter tonics, but it also has a nervine effect. It, they work in synchronicity. It's how plant medicine works. It's why I love it so much. But then other herbs too. So again, looking at healing that gut lining. So vulnerary demulsants. These are healing and soothing. So calendula, marigold. Really good for the skin. I've spoken about that before. It's kind of, it's affinity is with the skin. But because it has such a vulnerary action, such a healing action, it's great for any sort of leaky gut syndrome, any inflammation in the gut, ulcers, gastritis, things like that. And then we're looking at the demulsin herbs, so the herbs that are rich in mucilage. So plantain, fantastic herb for anything starting in the esophagus, going the the entire way down to the bowels. Again, althea, which is marshmallow root, avena, oats, achillea, all these herbs, they contain different properties like tannins and flavonoids and mucilage and saponins. These are all the components that are doing the jobs in the body. And then and two other categories I'm looking at, antispasmodic. You know, for people who have that spasmodic cramping in the gut, that bloating, that gas, the pain. We're looking at calming the gut down. So the likes of funiculum, which is fennel seed, and melissa, which is lemon balm. Dioscorea, which is wild yams. Viburnum, cramp bark. It's in the name. The nervines, again, matricaria, chamomile, which has its bitter properties. Again, avena, and then melissa. So all herbs have different properties, and when you match them together, that's when their effectiveness is increased. Like even the likes of turmeric. Turmeric has to be paired with black pepper. Well, it doesn't have to be, but if you pair turmeric with black pepper, it'll increase its efficacy by 10 times. And then it needs to be carried with a fat. So that's why when you're seeing the likes of the the golden milk, it's turmeric with the milk for its fat content and the black pepper. They all activate different components in each other. But using herbal medicine for the likes of IBS, like I said, it's all individual. Like I'm after listing off so many herbs there. But I wouldn't be able to tell someone walking down the street who asked me what what, what herbal I take for IBS. I'm like, 
need to know more. <laughs> I need to know what's going on with you. Because there's so many symptoms. And like I said, it is so individual. But when you think about it, everything kind of is in life. But we do forget that. But for anyone using herbal medicine or wanting to use herbal medicine, like herbal medicine is used as a support. You know, it's traditionally been used to support the person. And its medicinal properties are phenomenal. But you do need to be cautious too because you need to be aware of their medicinal properties. And I'll always say if you are thinking of starting a herbal medicine protocol or wanting to buy some herbs, make sure to check with your healthcare practitioner first. Make sure that it's safe for you to do so. Just in case you're on any medication or you have any conditions where a herbal interfere or interact. With herbs, we do have to respect them. (laughs) We have to respect our medicine as well because it's strong. And I think people forget that because it is a natural form of medicine. But that is this week's episode on IBS and gut health and some herb talk. And if you have any questions on IBS or IBD or anything surrounding gut health, (laughs) I'm not an expert in gut health. I know its importance. I educate myself enough as I possibly can. But do feel free to get in touch if you have any questions. So for now, happy Friday and happy hormones.